Welcome, welcome, welcome to Quirks and Creation. Uh, I'm Elise, and this is our very first episode, and we are so excited to be here and bring you something that's a little different and content that is super fascinating to us, and we think it will be to you too. Uh, so, without further ado, let me introduce the proton to my electron, the catalyst oh. to this chemical reaction, and the protein to my carbohydrate, Jess. Oh, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Elise. I am so, so excited about our new podcast together because, I mean, the world is a heckin' weird place. So through the mysteries of breakthrough science and archaeological discoveries, chemistry, physics, and rediscovered ancient texts, we know one thing for sure. We sure don't know very much. Or at least we don't know as much as we thought. So join us every week at this time, Friday at 7 p.m., uh, to join us for a deep dive into the quirks of God's creations as we try to uncover where we came from and where we're headed. I am so, so excited about this. Me too. Yay. Yay. And it seems like everybody in the chat is hopping. We have our first Rumble Rant ever from Abby Libby. $30. Oh my gosh, Abby. So generous. Abby. I know. She says, good luck on your first show ever. You guys are going to be amazing and touch so many people. I really hope so. Yep, that's the goal. <laughs> that is the goal. So today we are talking about proteins. I think proteins are super cool. So the just kind of to give you an idea of the premise of today's topic. Um, and I think it's going to be like the cornerstone of what we're trying to do with quirks of creations. Our primary goal is to see God and his majesty all throughout creation. And what better place to start than with the building blocks of our cells, which are, of course, proteins. But in order to really understand proteins, I want to introduce you guys to the Muller-Ray experiment. So this is the experiment. Um, don't really need any sound. I'll, I'll just kind of like tell you what's going on inside of it. So this is the famous chemistry experiment that supposedly simulated the conditions that were thought at the time to be present in the atmosphere during the early prebiotic earth. Um, so this was done in order to test if life could arise from those unique conditions. So in this particular flask, um, we have chemicals like methane, water, ammonia, hydrogen, and they're all sealed together and just like mixing together. And in the flask, they are using water vapor to kind of induce evaporation in these other gases. And if you guys notice in here, there's a large little spark happening. And that spark is being used kind of like lightning would be used uh, to kind of generate this chemical reaction. And the idea is that in this U-shaped bend at the end of the flask, we would get some really different um, chemicals forming, ideally proteins. And so this is what they think happened early on. Hmm. I know, kind of weird, huh? Yeah, and very interesting. And also I just keep, <laughs> inappropriately keep thinking like, they're trying to make test tube babies. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're going to go so far to make test tube babies that they're <laughs> basically going to just make them from primordial soup. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's how it's done. That's how it's done. 
and it's not like they didn't get nothing okay so i will say they got about five different amino acids not a proper protein just the building blocks of proteins which are amino acids so they got things like glycine alpha alanine beta alanine aspartic acid and, and a couple of other random ones and so the theory states that well given enough time we should be able to get life from this right right in theory in theory do you think if given enough time life could have randomly arisen out of the primordial soup i'm just gonna throw in a disclaimer here which i should have done in the very beginning <laughs> that uh, this is so far above my pay grade. So anybody else here who might be confused by anything Jess has said, don't worry. I'm gonna be like, can you dumb it down for me? And you don't have to. Um, but on my limited knowledge, I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna guess no. I, and we'll go into all of the statistics and everything, but it's kind of crazy that, I, I mean, just think about what they had to do. They had to put the flasks just so they had to have all the right. right pressures they had to have just the right amount of voltage charging through the flask yes they're supposedly simulating what they thought the earth looked like at the time but how could they possibly know right yeah and all of these things had to have just already been there right as far as yeah yeah the methane right. and ammonia yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of starting from a place where we're assuming a lot. We're assuming that methane was present on the earth. We're assuming water was present. We're assuming all of the at least elements and components were present on the earth to give us at least the basic building blocks of proteins, which are the amino acids. So so it's kind of interesting, um, but we'll get into why maybe this prediction is less than accurate. Uh, I do want to shout out pro uh, Wartime Propaganda over on Rumble with the Rumble Rant. Love oh, you guys. Oh. So excited for the new show. And he became a monthly supporter. Oh, thank you guys Yay, so much. Thank you. Okay. Can I just say I'm really touched by how supportive everybody has been for our new show. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it has been awesome. Yeah. Um. But, you know, we were talking about primordial soup, and I think something tastes a little bit better than primordial. I've never <laughs> tasted primordial soup, but I have tasted North Arrow coffee. And so North Arrow coffee has to be better than primordial soup. Uh, North Arrow coffee is super delicious. Drinking some right now. Uh, it is five-star microwavable and pro-life. Donate 15% of all of their proceeds to pro-life charities. Absolutely love that. It's single origin and roast to order. So treat yourself to some delicious coffee that does not taste like primordial soup and save some babies by using code Hawkhound to get 10% off your order. Yay. Yum, yum. Once we think? have our own mugs, I'll represent us. But <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I mean, my previous show lit, we'll still do lit sometimes, but mm -hmm. it's good. And you got to rep conspiracy pilled because there are partners in crime at Hawkhound. Right. We'll get a Katie's Dead one in here, too. Yeah. We'll get an overruled one. Mm -hmm. It'll be awesome. Yeah. All right. So to kind of address the question posed, I want to mention nucleic acids. So let me pull up a little picture of our nucleic acids for you guys, because I don't know about you, but I like pictures. Yes. I, I like having pictures. things to look at. So yeah. here are nucleic acids. And the two primary nucleic acids everybody always thinks about is RNA ribonucleic acid, and of course, DNA, which is the big guy, the one that gives us everything we need for our genetics. 
uh, deoxyribonucleic acid. And so when we think of these two things, they have to consist of three basic parts. They have to have a nitrogen-containing base, uh, they have to have a phosphate group, and they have to have a sugar. So three essential parts to get either one of these. And we know they're essential for making up our genetic code. And one of the key differences uh, that occur in DNA, like how we get all these different colored lines, is from the primary bases. So we have four primary bases, uh, which are listed here. So we got cytosine, guanine, adenine, and thymine. For RNA, we kind of switch out thymine for uracil. Just kind of a difference. And the way I like to think about these four bases is they're kind of like Legos. They have to fit in a very particular way. So adenine, the little yellow one, can only bond with thymine, and guanine can only bind with cytosine. Only. Gotcha. So just knowing these four random parts, we're expected to have that 25% accuracy in getting the right pair every single time. Every Guess time. how many of these we have to have to make up one strand of DNA? Oh, gosh. No idea. 3.2 billion. Oh, my word. <laughs> Just, I, I know it's so hard to, like, kind of conceive of a number, 3.2 billion. I mean, our national debt's probably, like, way <laughs> than that. <laughs> they said that more way. than that to Ukraine, probably. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Um, but... In order to list all of the letters, a person would have to type 60 words a minute, eight hours a day for 50 years. <laughs> That's a lot. That puts it in perspective. That's a lot. That's a super lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. Uh, That's a lot, a lot. Um, so then we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, what does DNA actually do? Like, we know it's our genetic code. Uh, but like, what is it coding for? You know, so these things have to be in the right way. So uh, instead of like saying their names, I'll just say A, U, C, and G. Like, just make our lives easier. <laughs> um, and they have to be in just the right order. And in theory, you could get about like 64 different combinations to produce something called a codon. So it's just a set of three. So we have 64 different sets of three. And each one represents an amino acid. Remember, we said earlier, amino acids are what make up proteins. And remember, proteins give us everything. They give us our structure, our function, regulation, let us breathe in and out. Like, they're super duper important. All the things. All, All the things. things. <laughs> so, we, it, it the stats just get so crazy here because there are 20 different amino acids that make up the millions and millions of different proteins, that, or I shouldn't say millions, I think it's more like thousands, thousands of different yeah. proteins um, that give us our structure. And we're supposed to think this came out of a primordial soup? Yes. <laughs> Randomly, magically happened. Randomly, magically happened. <laughs> um, and so... Each of these little things, these little sections, give us traits. So let's think about just like one subtle change. If I change just one of those little different codons, I could have a different hair color. Right. Okay. So, you know, that's not too big. Okay. But, but what if I got even deeper than that? What if we talk about histone? So, his, I know, it's like so much going on here. <laughs> 
Histone is another part. Of, think of it as like my DNA strand is wrapped around this thing called a histone. And depending on how tightly the DNA is wrapped, it's kind of like a lever. It'll turn certain traits on and off. So the more tightly wrapped it's, the more tightly it's wound around the histone, uh, the less it's expressed and the looser it is, the more it's expressed. Express so, yourself. <laughs> express yourself. <laughs> express yourself. Well, since you mentioned it, it, there is research to suggest that epigenetics, which is basically your environmental impact, can change how your genes express themselves. So, yeah. I mean, you could express yourself could. depending on your environment. Depends on where you are. <laughs> yeah, it depends on where you are. <laughs> so, I know. I just like information dumped on everybody. I'm so sorry about that. I like it. <laughs> We're processing. We'll catch up in like five minutes. That's good. Okay. Well, let, let's take a minute and process it. So let's think of our nucleotides as like binary code. You need a certain number of ones and zeros, uh, 3.2 billion, in fact, placed in just the right order to create a set of instructions. Okay, I've got all my ones and zeros to make a set of instructions. And this allows for the coding of 20 separate programs. And we'll call those programs amino acids. These programs then have to be executed in a particular order to create just one functional protein. Just and think of, of thousands. Right? No, yeah, out of thousands. So I like to, like if we're going with the computer example, a protein is going to be like one thing that a computer does. So one click or it turns the screen white or communicates with the internet. And if we think of all the things our computers do, like those add up really fast. Yep. Um, and there are some proteins like directly embedded in that code that interact with the DNA and can be expressed in different ways. So it might change the screen black instead of white. <laughs> yeah. Like our fault sounds so yeah. to me. Brain oh. explodes. Me too. Me too. I'm, I'm not sorry, alone. <laughs> no, but you're. I'm following. I'm following. Okay. Okay. Put your Everybody down. tracking. <laughs> Conspiracy build says epigenetics, my new favorite word. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. We're definitely going to have a segment at the end for everybody uh, to ask questions and like to just kind of chat and get nerdy. Uh, and audio listeners, this is why you guys should definitely come to the video show because then you can see all the cool diagrams I just threw up right. instead of just going, oh, I got to imagine it all in my brain. <laughs> It definitely helps. It makes a big difference. <laughs> I'm glad. Do you have any thoughts or questions so far? Just like kind of processing it? It just sounds very, very complex. And um, already I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't see how you can just roll the dice and come up with all of this beautifully, magically created things that we are. But hey, I'm not, I don't want to get ahead of anything either. So yeah, no, no, you got it. So now that I've kind of set the stage, let's talk stats. So remember, there are four different nucleotide bases, A, C, T, and G. Um, and so that means there's a one in four chance that they'll pair up correctly. Because remember, A can't bond to A. It can only bond to, what did we say it was again? Um, I'm already failing. I know, I'm already failing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they only have the individual partners that they can bond to. Right, so we can't have any variation. It has to be exactly correct. 
And so that's a 25% chance for every single time a nucleotide pair bonds. Now apply that to 3.2 billion. 25% roll of the dice, 3.2 billion times. Oh, it gets Odds are not in our favor. Not in our favor. (laughs) So each section of that 3.2 billion strand has to be aligned in the correct order. Otherwise, we don't get our three-paired codon to make the correct amino acid. And remember, there are 20 different (laughs) amino acids. So that's a new factor to consider. Right. And a single protein, there we go, can be anywhere from 50 to 2,000 amino acids long. And remember, the proteins are the building blocks of our entire bodies. We kind of need them. Kind of need them. Kind of need them to be exactly right. (laughs) And scientists, you know, they're kind of like, okay, you know, some agree, some don't, suggest there could be anywhere from around 20,000 different proteins in the body. Oh, my word. (laughs) And we haven't even begun to factor in histones yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so histones can vary based on methylation. So again, think of that lever. So uh, depending on how many methyl groups are bonded, we could have more levers flipped on. Uh, de- depending on how many are not bonded, we could have them flipped off, right? So in DNA alone, the possibilities of chance or time allowing for the formation of even a small chunk of DNA is so incredibly impo- improbable, it really boggles the mind. Um, and so like if we were to think that the universe was infinite we could probably suppose that sure but the universe isn't infinite by science's own logic the universe is 30 billion years old so now we have a time stamp now we don't have an infinite amount of time for all of this to happen Oh, man, I think I know where you're going. And this is like very fascinating because I never, I never thought about that. If you only, if they're dating it like this, we right. only have so much time for all of this to coalesce, come together. Right. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Conspiracy Pilled says, uh, <laughs> you know, these are just a few coincidences. <laughs> Nothing to worry about, yeah, basically. No. Just a few. <laughs> just a few. Definitely happened by chance when lightning struck soup. For sure. Follow the science, conspiracy pill. Uh, so let's get let's get even more into the stats. Cause Do it. I, I'm not a super big fan on stats because you know so sometimes it feels like they're making it up, but this uh, I right. can post uh, links to the articles later, but the, there's some good math behind all of this. This isn't just something I sat on my computer and was like, I'm going to make up numbers. No, <laughs> like, uh, I did the research. I dug Nobody's deep, got time for that. <laughs> ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so assuming each particle can participate in a thousand billion or 10 to the 12th different events every second. This is improbably high, of course. Then the greatest number of events that could ever happen or trials that could be made in all of the universe throughout its entire history is 10 to the 110. So I I don't know if we can like fathom that number. So I'm going to go with a number I can already fathom. And that's Avogadro's number. 
Chemists love Avogadro's number. It's 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd. This is a number I make all my chemistry students memorize. Um, So to just kind of give you a perspective, that exponent is 10 to the 21st. Or 10 to the 23rd, excuse me. So let's assume I had 10 to the 23rd pennies and I spent a million dollars a second until the day I died. You would still be left with 99% of that money. (laughs) And that's 10 to the 23rd. That's like little compared to what we're talking. Uh, If you had 10 to the 23rd donuts, it would cover the earth to the depth of five miles. Oh my word. So Avogadro's number is so, just so big already. But it's infinitesimally small compared to some of the stats we're talking about. That's insane. It's insane. And unfathomable. It is actually unfathomable. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> the chat over on Rumble is cracking me up. They're like doing shots of primordial soup. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck, guys? <laughs> Don't drink the primordial I soup. I th- you guys might get a bacterial infection or something. <laughs> We might just have to have like little shot glasses just for primordial soup. Right. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> All right. And so like, I'm not even done with stats. I'm sorry. This no, like, keep it, it up. It's so good. So right. even the simplest replicating protein molecule that could be imagined has shown to have a probability of one and 10 to the 450. Remember, Avogadro's nope, number is just, just like, 10 to the 23rd. Ooh. It's like, my nope. brain can't even. Nope. Nope. At some point, it just like shuts down like, burp, burp, burp. I can't. <laughs> right. I can't. So, so again, I mean, some will propose that if we have an infinite amount of time, we could, in theory, arrive to this conclusion. Right. But scientists have dated the universe to, what did we say it was? Um, Three billion? The 3 billion was DNA, 30 30 billion. 30, sorry. 30 billion years. So their theory actually doesn't really work based on their own supposed evidence. Um, So now, like the age age of the earth, I am sure we'll talk about in a future episode. I think that would be fun. But even if we're assuming old earth based on their premise, it still doesn't really work. And I think the biggest clue into that is chromosome two and telomere fusion. I totally know what all that is. I am so excited to talk <laughs> to you guys about chromosome two and t- telomere fusion because I just found out about it today. Oh, nice. But I think this is something we should say for Rumble. Agreed. Yeah, because I mean, YouTube just doesn't like us. They probably don't like chromosome two and telomere fusion. Um, <laughs> And at Hawkham, we like to say, you know, don't work for woke companies that hate you or your values. So we won't, which is why we're going to take our show over to Rumble and Odyssey. Audio listeners, of course, you guys will still get the majority of this episode. But our goal at Hawkham is to make sure that we aren't making little compromises to grow our podcast. So join us over on Rumble and Odyssey, where we can speak freely. I love it. Hey, Rumble and Odyssey. 
Hey, welcome to the party. Welcome. Um, so Kevin Provance over on uh, Rumble says NASA estimates the universe is 13.7 billion years old. So that's even younger than the article I had previously read. Absolutely crazy. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about chromosome two and telomere fusion, guys. The this this broke my brain. Like already the stats break my brain. <laughs> but this really broke my brain. So just to give you perspective, you know, we have what, 23? chromosomes something like that mm -hmm. chromosome 2 is very special because it contains the genetic information for making the proteins so this is the one this is the extremely important chromosome now evolutionary scientists um can explain a lot but what they have not been able to explain is what's going on with chromosome two because that particular chromosome arrives from telomere fusion now a telomere is basically the try this three minute shower routine oh, to quickly get rid of toenail fungus no, itchy no, skin no. and smelly feet <laughs> world-renowned and international fungal expert oh, dr kimberly Boy, i love foot fungus <laughs> wow that's what i get for <laughs> touching my computer it's all good there you go guys there you go it's it's quirky this, sh this show's meant to be quirky that's so. right that's right i love it we'll have to have a separate episode on foot fungus we will now we will now i love it <sighs> oh <my laughs> wartime propaganda yay foot fungus <laughs> yay. goodness gracious all right so a telomere is just the end of the chromosome it's supposed to cap it so it basically doesn't unravel so it's important of course but the fact that two fused in these as supposedly ancient apes is really interesting because even scientists admit that this cannot happen naturally like they did all of these experiments and uh, they had to get just the right setup to make it happen in a lab the only way they could replicate this process was by having yeast meticulously fine-tuned in the experiment. This type of genetic anomaly does not happen in nature. Wow. Yet this is the chromosome so, that gives our body instructions how to make proteins. So it's like somebody higher up than us was like putting all this together. Something like that. I don't know. I don't know. But we can't replicate it naturally. Right. Yeah. We can't just make a primordial soup and say, okay, it's going to happen. Or, like, I mean, we haven't even seen it happen anywhere in nature. We only right. know that it's happened in humans because we've broken down the human genetic code. And it's easy to see. Um, I should have pulled up images for this. Maybe I'll post some of those later on uh, our Instagram. But you can basically see the seam where they fused under uh, the electron scanning microscope, which is how they knew it was the telomere fusion, which is just like crazy. Which is crazy. So let's say it did happen on accident, j just for giggles. Mm -hmm. The researchers who investigated this suggest that if ancient chimpanzee chromosomes 2A and 2B 
did indeed undergo a telomere-telomere fusion into a human chromosome 2, the likely outcome would have been genetic instability so bad it would have resulted in cancer. Oh my. So they wouldn't have even like survived that evolutionary process. That's not a genetic code that would get carried on to get your human evolution. Would have been done. 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 You're just done. You're just, just unravel done. at the seams. This is fine. Yeah. Kevin Provence, Elise Aliens. Oh, we're going to talk about aliens later. Going to save that maybe yeah. for our video listeners over on Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get fun. So, any thoughts or questions from anyone? I don't want to go too fast. I'm just having so much fun. I can't think of any, you know, maybe, but. This is just crazy. So I just really want to hammer the specific proteins. And the first one of these proteins um, is one that involves sickle cell anemia. Have you heard of sickle cell anemia? Yes. Yep. No bueno. So sickle cell disease is inherited by people uh and the people who usually have it have two faulty hemoglobin genes, so called hemoglobin S, one from each parent. So normally we think of our red blood cells as these nice little spheres that can flow on through our bloodstream, all nice and happy, carrying oxygen to all the parts of our body. Great. A sickle cell has this curved shape, and this can be really bad because it basically blocks up blood flow. Um, so instead of having those nice little spheres that can gently bounce off of the inside of your veins, these can kind of like stack up. Like to me, it looks like a bunch of bananas just kind of like, yeah, I was just going to say for anybody listening who can't see this right now, like I've always thought of healthy cells as like, they look like donuts and then the sickle cells look like croissants. So like, Oh, I like that. Donuts and croissants. I mean, I love, I love me some food. So I hope that helps everybody see it. <laughs> Quirks and creation food win. So yeah, we got our happy donuts and our sad <laughs> croissants. There we go. <laughs> um, and so this gene is coded on chromosome 11. Uh, and this leads to the formation of that he- uh, hemoglobin protein called hemoglobin S. And it makes the cells more rigid. So instead of being flexible and bendy and able to bounce off the walls and all of those different things, they just can't move as well. So they can get like stuck and stuck together. They can't really deliver as much oxygen to the body uh, like you would normally want them to. So it can cause a lot of pain. Uh, and these pains are often called pain crises uh, and can occur without warning. Um, a person who has them often has to go to the hospital for treatment. It just like makes me feel really sad. It sounds for absolutely terrible. I feel for you if you have sickle cell and yeah. you have friends. I hope nobody but, does. Me too. But the reason I bring this up is because it's just one miscode. One mm-hmm. error in the DNA sequence, that 3.2 billion, uh, wow. specifically on chromosome 11, that leads to this life of pain. Oh, my word. I yeah, mean, and it's not, it's not throughout the whole. Right. It's just a, it's one. It's just one. It's just one. Oh my it's goodness. It's just one. And so that's even just, though everything yeah. else is like lined Perfect. up perfectly. I don't know. Just that blows my mind all by itself. Yeah. Like 
all 3.199999999 billion, however many nines, are perfect. It's just the one. Just the one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's just sickle cell anemia. Right. So let's talk about cystic fibrosis. Let's do it. So cystic fibrosis is an inherited disease caused by a mutation in a gene um, that is called the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator. That's a mouthful, so I'm just going to say CFTR. Perfect. That's a little easier. So this protein is really cool. It's located on every single organ of the body that makes mucus. So, like, we think of our nose as the thing that makes mucus, but... All of our organs make mucus, right. right? To really keep them clean, yeah. right? Like our lungs and liver and pancreas and intestines and, well, even our sweat, uh, our sweat glands, you know? Yeah. So super duper important. But the CFTR protein has also been found in other cells in the body, like your heart and your immune system. And so the mutation of this gene can cause the CFTR protein to not work properly, causing this really thick and sticky mucus to build up and block the lungs and digestive system. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Awful. So on the genetic level, there's lots of ways that this can go wrong and ways that it can mutate. But this is still pretty rare. Right. Out of our 3.2 billion nucleotides code. Crazy. It's crazy. I mean, just to just to fathom how much has to be right in order for us to exist. To func- to even just to function or to- Yeah. Even just to function. Uh, and and so I, I think you guys kind of get where I'm going with this. Um someone is behind all of this. Like the idea that any of this happened on accident is kind of like, to me, that requires more faith than I have. Yeah. Yes. I don't know about you guys. What do you think? It seems so unimaginable. And, but I also think nobody thinks about it that hard, you know, or you can't think about it that hard without really questioning what's actually going on or like how this all happened. And we take for granted how wonderful our bodies are and what, how wonderful they do all these even mundane things. Like, I mean, you, me just sitting here and chatting, like that's incredible. It's absolutely amazing that all of these things just lined up so perfectly for us to just sit here and chat with each other. And well, we take for granted at all of it. I mean, we really do. Mm-hmm. I think we forget so often that just being alive is a miracle in and of itself. Um, I mean, we think of the technology we have, like podcasting wasn't a thing a hundred years ago. <laughs> right. Like how much innovation and discovery we've had as humans, you know, and how complex it all is. We forget that the most complex technology is ourselves right here yeah we're here right here we're so complex we haven't even figured ourselves out 
<laughs> we don't even know what an appendix does. <laughs> For those of us who have any. Have <laughs> right. One. Have any. Like we have more than one. Right. <laughs> well, I guess if There's you're another problem. you might have more than one. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you should go listen to Conspiracy Pilt, and then you'll know. And then you'll know. Uh, that's too funny. But yeah, we don't even know what that does. And right. uh, you, I'm always um, fascinated by nutrition. So I love yeah. to like look at all these articles on nutrition. And again, like science is not my forte, but you know, one day like eggs are good for your body and then the next day they're not and like coffee is good for you and then it's not and it's like how do we even know do we know I don't think we know <laughs> just that and again that's like a really easy example but we still don't know we still <laughs> and I think that's the thing we have to be okay sometimes with not having an explanation for everything I think in modern science we've got so caught up with wanting to explain everything and the things we can't explain, we don't leave to mystery. We just say, oh, that couldn't have happened. Oh, and just discard the spiritual when we could learn so much more from the spiritual. And they have to be in, um, I think if you're science minded, um, like in that profession, there's no connection and you, you can't be super superstitious, sorry like that and even right. try to attempt to make that connection um then you're just crazy crazy right um another point to go along with that but i forgot it which you guys <laughs> will find out i do that all the time oh same I, i'm sure i forgot something in all of this too <laughs> we could probably eventually turn it into a drinking game like oh she lost her train of thought again there's another one. Quirks of creation uh, drinking game. Oh, they'll all be dead. Oh, I know. Abby's liver are gone. <laughs> yeah, Abby's already drunk. You're welcome. <laughs> I love it. Uh, someone in chat mentioned evolution. And I, I would love to do a whole episode on evolution because there's so much there to talk about. Um, because we see very clearly micro evolution is a thing. Um we see people adapt all just as like a small example of this. Uh, one of the things I often teach students about is the peppered moth. And this happened during the industrial revolution. Uh, there were white moths that lived on these white birch trees. And then during the industrial revolution, there was a lot of smog that went up into the air and stuck to the sides of these trees. And so the white moths stood out very brightly and were eaten up by predators. And so just over the generations, the moss would just kind of start developing these spots. And it's not because like there was this, it's not like they were thinking about it, right? Right. It's not like if I will it, I can have spots. No, I can have a unicorn horn. Like you I can't manifest that. these spots. I'm going to man. Oh, manifesting. That's another thing that we could. <laughs> I think we should. So, but so keep much. going. Yeah. Um, it's just that there's natural variation in genetics. So if a moth had just a few more dark spots than maybe the more common lighter moths, the peppered moth 
would not be as picked up by predators as often as the lighter moths. So just over generations, the predators were eating up all of the lighter moths and the ones with that weird genetic variation were staying around. So this is kind of a, a forced evolution, right? That they were <clears throat> directed to have more spots over time. And that's called microevolution. So that, that we've seen, very yes. natural, inarguable. What is more arguable is macroevolution, the idea that we evolved from apes or crawled out of the primordial ooze. <laughs> exactly. And I think what I, I remember oh, what sorry. I was going to say is um, it helps to have a flexible mind. And unfortunately, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of that. It, um, and I'm sure I'm going to say this repeatedly with both of our subjects. It's like you get um, the professionals or the um the higher up the right the academia people yeah experts experts and the experts and uh it's such a challenge to who they are and and everything about them like even their identity to have a flexible mind and to open up to new ideas or even possible new ideas even to question it or maybe contemplate it like way too much way too much and you're questioning who they would then be questioning who they even are and i think you and i'll see that a lot and probably share that a lot but like having flexible minds or not having flexible minds in these kinds of areas can close a lot of doors unfortunately so no i think you're absolutely right just to give some shout outs to the chat abby and pj are having a rumble rant fight Abby with the $1 super chat appendix owner supremacy (laughs) (laughs) and then PJ shots of primordial ooze for everyone just because I don't have an appendix but at least I have a heart Abby there's some massive shots being fired in the chat again audio listeners we would definitely love to have you over here on rumble to hear all of this and see all of it in person Mm mm-hmm I make plenty of faces too. You're missing all of those. So. She has some great faces and the hand gestures. Lots of hand, lots of hand gestures. I think we both might both be Italian just somewhere in our history. <laughs> I, I, I think so. I mean, I'm mostly German, but I, there has to be an Italian in there somewhere. Somewhere to explain the, the yeah. hand movements. I love hands. it. <laughs> so then the question really becomes: Okay, we know this didn't happen by chance. So who done it? question who done it is a good question and this is called quirks of creation for a reason so we are very (laughs) clearly coming from a judeo-christian perspective spoiler alert spoiler alert um so to us god is so clearly in all of this it is truly undeniable the intelligent design so why the god of the bible and this is a question i don't think i'll answer 100 percent tonight i don't know if We'll get it 100% right every single time. Um, But I think that's kind of like the goal of this whole show is to kind of answer that question. Why the God of the Bible? Why is that what we see and what we believe? Because at some point, you're going to have to take something on faith. Yes. But I I personally believe I have some very convincing evidence. (laughs) I, I wouldn't go as far to say proof. I just... This, this piece is a little interesting. And for those of you who kn- know the name Louis Giglio, you might know where I'm going with this. Uh, 
and that is the cell adhesion molecule, a protein called lamin. Laminin is so freaking cool. How many people actually know what she was talking about? That's what, that's what anybody knows. Anybody, okay. Anybody? Okay. Laminins are a family of glycoproteins uh, that hold our extracellular matrix together. It's basically like if you like to sew, it's the thread. It's the thread that holds the whole tapestry together. It's the a major component of basal lamina, one of the outer components of our membranes, and part of the protein network that is the foundation for all of our cells and organs. Laminins are particularly important and biologically active because they're influencing cell differentiation, migration, and adhesion. So, like, this stuff is so important to your body, you literally could not be alive without it. You just fall apart into, like pieces and probably like a primordial ooze it'd be gross you'd make your own ooze right there yep you would just be ooze without laminin dun, dun, i think dun. you guys should see why i'm so excited about laminin yes i should show you a, this is an electron scanning microscope picture of laminin show it hmm Hmm. Look at that. Look at that. Guys, I'm telling you, if you're an audio listener, you are missing out. <laughs> because the picture of laminin, like I, I heard part of this talk from Louis Giglio when I was in high school, and it changed my faith. Uh, it, it's why I love science. Because science so clearly points us to God. I mean, that's a cross. Yeah. That's just as beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I don't think it's a coincidence we're talking about this on Good Friday. Oh, I'm glad you made that connection because that was good. You're right. I honestly didn't realize we were putting it on, until, <laughs> on Good Friday until like a couple of days ago. Me neither. <laughs> because my brain is just dumb like that. Like, hey, the 7th? Yes. Yes. Okay. Just happened hey, here to be we are. Hard. Here we are. And we're talking about laminin, guys. Guys. <laughs> let me show you. Let me just show you some things laminin does. Okay. So this is our basal lamina. And it it's holding our cell membranes together. Like, look at it in action. Holding our cell membranes together. I love it. It's just crazy. I like. I, I just don't have the words to describe that. And yeah, you still kind of have to take it on faith. Like some people will be like, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. But is it though? There's so many coincidences. That's a lot of coincidences. It's just a lot. In one day, in one in one podcast, there's just lots of lots of coincidences. It's just a I like lot. it. Mm-hmm. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Like, he Even tells down us. down to that layer. <laughs> down to our freaking molecules. Right. right. Yes. Colossians 1.17. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. 
hold literally. it together. Literally. And I like it. It's so cool, guys. I wish, I just want everyone to understand how cool it is. And guys, this is why I love science. Like, I know it sounds like I've been on just a nerd tangent all night saying things like nucleotides and peptides and like histones. And it's just like, it's too much language. (laughs) (laughs) But when you get into it, it's just, God is so cool, man. Yeah. I think he's cheeky. Like, he is cheeky. He's cheeky because it's like, Yes, you need to be, we, faith is like the foundation of, of our belief system. But at the same time, he's just kind of like, but I'll, I'll show myself here right. and there and here and there. And can you see it? Do you see it? Eh, I, see I, I just wonder, like he, <laughs> uh, we know God is outside of time, but like if he was inside of time, I would think he's like, come on, discover it already. I want <laughs> you to see it. I want you to see my fingerprint. Right. Like, these are his fingerprints yeah. all over creation. Yes. And that's what we're going to be pointing out is like, there it is, and there it is, and there it is, or maybe, you know. Right. Again, or at least our theories, maybe. But yeah. still. So I know we've talked about a lot today, but I do want to mention chemical language because... Uh, the way we've talked about DNA and proteins is like, it's a type of language. Like we compared it to binary code, computer language and chemicals are a type of language for the body, right? All of our cells communicate using molecules. So that is a type of language. Um, And so the Bible of course, doesn't tell us what language God spoke with when he created everything, but he did speak. I mean, Genesis one tells us God spoke and there was light, right? Um, And so all over the Bible, he tells us he's speaking, but how? And just go with me here. Remember that DNA is like a code and that codes for proteins and that are create, create the language of our bodies. They tell our organs what to do, how to work and how to hold together. DNA is the code and the proteins are the program. Could this be God's language? I like that theory. Yeah. Like, is DNA God's alphabet on how we are made? Like, like, think about it. God spoke all of life into existence using basically just four letters, A, C, T, and G, and 20 words, the 20 amino acids. That's, that's really beautiful. I like that. Right? Yeah. It's so freaking cool, guys. Uh, the food we eat, of course, is converted into DNA and proteins in our body. And when I was just thinking about this and made me think of communion, you know, again, it's Easter weekend. We eat the bread of life and we drink the cup, which is Christ's blood shed for us. The molecules of the bread and juice become part of us. And when we think of it like that, it's converted into DNA and proteins, which just makes that communion so much deeper. Yes. I don't know. It's not just a symbology kind of, it's not just symbolism, you know, it is so much deeper, so much more. It really is. It really is so much more. Um, and I know I have so much to talk about, like seriously stop me if I'm getting too much, like, (laughs) no, I'm like, I'm fascinated. I'm fixated on all this now. Like, Oh, okay. Let's go. Dig deeper. Dig deeper. (laughs) Here's another thing I want to talk about that I, again, another thing I learned today, 
is something called The God Code. So this was a book written by Greg Brandon, and he did. He and his team of researchers did a lot. Uh, he is not a Christian, but he was certainly convinced of a divine creator after exploring the Sefer Yetzirah. Like, I didn't even know what that was. So this is known as the Book of Creation, and it's an ancient Jewish mystical work that describes God's process of creating the universe. So some scholars have thought that the author of the book is Abraham. Not all, of course, agree. And I want to be clear, this is an extra biblical ancient text that was discovered. But I think it's pretty interesting because many scholars treat it as a treatise on mathematical and linguistic theory. And so this is cool because Greg Brandon asked himself, what if this is not just poetry? So just the first little line says, Yah, the Lord of hosts, the living God, King of the universe, omnipotent, all kind and merciful, like lots of worship words. And then it says, and created the universe in 32 mysterious paths of wisdom by three seraphim. And it gives lots of Hebrew names, but there's like lots of numbers and language in here. He divided the 22 consonants into three divisions. Like, it feels like a code. Yeah. It sounds like one. It sounds like one. Through it. Yeah. Yeah. So working with a team of scientists, he found that the mysterious mathematical code connects to DNA. Get out of here. Right? Like, what? Okay. So the way he describes it, it's like, it it literally was breaking down a code. So remember, DNA is composed of those four primary nucleotides, A, T, C, and G. And those are composed of elements, right? It's a molecule. It's made of elements. And biological elements are carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen. These are all elements from the periodic table. And so give me like two seconds to pull it up because I just want him to tell you. Like, I don't have enough good words to say it for myself so i'm gonna let him say it i do find him fascinating he's very fascinating he's fascinating a lot of stuff he talks about and also he's kind of like i always think he's on the brink like right he he's so close he's so close yeah but i i still i love what he has to say i always find it super interesting i want him to get there one day okay here we go you guys are gonna love this Oh, maybe. Can you hear it? I should unmute it, huh? Letters of those alphabets and place them into the strand of DNA in precise places. And when we do that, following those instructions, lo and behold, the DNA begins to spell words and the words begin to spell sentences and the sentences make sense. And while we don't know precisely who or what is responsible for that code in our bodies, what it says to us is, number one, it says that we're here on purpose. We're no fluke of nature. We're no accident in biology. We are an intentional species. And that there is a, a message encoded. It's not on a temple wall or in a text somewhere that could crumble after a few thousand years. It's in the creation itself. Uh, there is a literal message, and the very first line of that message literally translates into the languages of ancient biblical Hebrew, ancient Arabic, and ancient Sanskrit. Precisely the same language literally says to us, the words, God eternal within the body. God eternal within the body. I mean, I get 
freaking chills. It's so cool. <laughs> what? There's my intelligent comment. It is so cool, but it is so cool. It is so <laughs> freaking cool, guys. It's it is like mind meltingly cool. I like this. Again, being cheeky, like see, see? Right? Like how I did that? Yeah? You see me there? Again, I, I'm just like picturing God going like, come on, guys, just find it. It's, right. it's like he, like an artist. An artist would always leave their signature on a piece of work that they're super proud of. Right. Yes. God left his signature on our genetic code. Yes. And he didn't say it in that particular clip, but it's not just God, like G-O-D God. It's Yahweh. It yeah. translates to Yahweh. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Big big deal. Big, big deal. deal. That's a big deal. How, did it say how they found that? Did you say how they found that? Yeah, so or has it been they, around? They Oh, you mean that particular um ancient work? Yeah. I tried to find someone to tell me how they discovered that particular text. And I could not find it. That that will definitely have to be something like maybe we could dive deeper in because yeah. that's just like the surface level of the Sefer Yitzira. Um, oh, yeah. I would love to like dig deeper into it because again, it, it's an extra biblical text uh, and it, it looks like there could be some really interesting things there. We got all these rabbit holes to jump down. So many rabbit holes. And guys, we could be like here all night, but I'd like <laughs> reel it back some. <laughs> so before we leave our audio listeners behind, I just want to read a couple of verses because I just think all of this is so powerful. And I think it helps to go back to the Bible to put it in perspective. So Psalm 139, 3 through 16 tells us, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, as yet there were none of them. God's always known. I'm excited about it. You guys are excited about it too. I like it. I uh, appreciate next week. Oh yeah. Okay. So a little teaser for next week. Um, I will be discussing the flood and any archaeological evidence and any other kind of evidence that has been found to support the flood um obviously nobody's found the ark sorry spoiler alert what? but there's a ton of evidence out there that suggests a global cataclysmic flood that has happened so we're going to discuss that in more detail and a lot of coincidences that are alongside that as well so so you're telling week. me the ark is not in kentucky 
there's there is one <laughs> but i don't think it's the one <laughs> it's not the one darn Sorry. they Sorry. charge way too much for that <laughs> i know i still want to go though oh yeah for sure i i'm definitely going to gonna try that. and go this yeah. summer um but yeah, guys, please like and subscribe. This is a brand new podcast. We're not done yet. So if you're on Rumble, don't leave yet because we're going to talk about alien space dust and the panspermia theory. So I know some folks were like, aliens in the chat. Uh, well, if you're ready to talk about aliens, we're going to do a bonus segment for our live listeners uh, after we say goodbye to our audio only. Thank you guys for joining us. And Thank we'll you. see you guys next time. <laughs>